Markets, another edition of The Difference. Welcome to it. I'm Dan O'Donnell alongside Dave Spano, President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. We're recording this on Monday, April 24th. And Dave, I don't think it's a stretch to say one of the biggest stories in media of the past several years just broke a couple of minutes ago. Tucker Carlson, top-rated host at Fox News, is out. I don't think the timing's much of a coincidence. It was just last week. Fox News was forced to pay $787.5 million in a settlement to a lawsuit filed against it by Dominion Voting Systems. Dominion alleged defamation by Carlson and other Fox News hosts for claiming that Dominion voting systems were rigged during the 2020 presidential election, throwing the race to Joe Biden. A lot going on here, but not the least of which should be a reminder to everyone who's working and investing and saving for a rainy day that that rainy day can come a lot sooner than you might think it will. Well, that's funny to take uh, Tucker Carlson and then in the Dominion conspiracy theory to a rainy day fund. I like it. And so that's exactly right. I mean, on Friday, he said, I'll see you Monday. And on Monday, they said, see you to him. There's no question that his circumstances have changed. I, you know, none of us know the details of his financial exit. It makes a really good point, Dan, is that, you know, we always talk about, you know, you just don't know. And you know, people go, I'm going to work until I'm 65. But mm -hmm. sometimes things change. Companies change ownership. Your health could change. The circumstances could change. And that is the reason why we can take a very complex topic like what happened at Fox News and bring it down to an individual's situation where you should always make sure that you have three to six months at a minimum to pay your bills. And obviously, Tucker Carlson is not a poor guy. I'm sure he's got money saved up and the terms of his exit were negotiated for some time. Tucker didn't go into work on Friday or or come to work this morning and say, hey, you're you're gone, right? These things are negotiated often long in advance because he's got a contract that's paying him X amount of money. I heard $40 million a year, somewhere in that vicinity. Wow. Uh, that he was getting, oh yeah, it was big, big money for Tucker Carlson. But the reality is when you personally cost your company $787 million, no matter how important you are, no matter how much you're making, the writing is sort of on the wall. And this is a major it's a good thing. I, it's a good thing iHeart loves you. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> if I cost him $787,000, heck, if I cost him 787 bucks, I'm either writing a check or I'm out on my butt, that's, right? That's funny. No, but that, I mean, that is the, the reality is. And, you know, we've been talking, Dave, to sort of bring another angle into this about the AI revolution, artificial intelligence, and how when it's sort of fully implemented is going to start taking quite a bit of jobs. We talked about coders. One of them was in fact news writers. Now, obviously an AI probably can't replace Tucker Carlson on the air, at least not yet, but BuzzFeed News recently shut down. BuzzFeed was experimenting a couple of months ago with having AI write entire news stories. To me, 
it doesn't seem like those two developments are unrelated. Same thing with Insider, which just cut about 10% of its staff, and it actually had to issue a statement saying, no, this has nothing to do with the fact that we too were experimenting with having AI write news stories. So what this is going to do, Dave, is as the economy shifts, as the economy kind of changes in my business and in a whole lot of others, I think you're going to see more and more people, not at the level of Tucker Carlson, but certainly at the level of highly paid professional, suddenly find that they're not going to be doing their jobs anymore, that a machine might actually be taking over. So the, a lot of the earnings reports, we're watching that carefully to say, are they going to use AI? And, and some of them are saying we're beginning that experiment. But even the folks that have engaged it already, they're saying, you know, it's better than starting with a blank piece of paper. So it at least starts the story. But after that story, you still need somebody with a frontal cerebral uh, area to go in through it and, and read it and make sure because even you know if you put your own name in dan and, and put the chat gpt and have him write a story some of it's just complete nonsense right so yeah uh, so yeah. You, you know it just makes stuff up so you still have to go through and frame it out but the people that i'm using even in the tech that we're talking to even in the tech industry are saying it's better than starting with a blank piece of paper but we're still mm -hmm. going to need a human being to go through and edit that oh yeah absolutely because what it does is it provides the background research, right? Yeah. It'll provide the sort of framework for what a story will look like. And then of course it still needs the human touch, but that's where editors come in. Yeah, that's right. If you're eliminating the middleman of a writer and it's not just in the media industry, although that's probably one of the, the areas in which you could see, even though you wouldn't think about it, that's one of the areas where you could see this tech revolution. And remember, for years, we were talking about how technology would be replacing blue-collar workers, right? right. We were yep. told that, you know, uh, and we saw it in the fast food industry where you've got touch screens at McDonald's. We saw it in retail where Walmart, there are some Walmarts that just don't have cashiers anymore. It's all self-checkout. What we're seeing now are decidedly white-collar jobs that are potentially falling victim to this new economy. You know, anything that's task-related, you can write an algorithm to try to take care of that. So it's the task-oriented stuff, and that's the reason why we talk about the jobs that are available. You know, there used to be a 2x, twice as many jobs available as job seekers. Now, fortunately, that is getting a little tighter. It's now under 10 million of available jobs, still around 6.5 million people. So that is beginning to close up. But the reason why there's still that number of jobs available, Dan, is because of a skills gap. Even though somebody might be looking for the job, they don't have the background, the education background, the wherewithal to take these higher-end jobs. So the skills gap could be made up with an algorithm, and that's what we're going to have to watch for sure. So let's watch the unemployment number uh, as it could start to creep up. And that is, by the way, the goal of the Federal Reserve. You know, yeah. they, they were looking at the they were looking at wage inflation and saying it's getting out of control, and there's the pendulum is going to have to swing. And I think you're going to continue to see that the pendulum starts to swing. 
swing as we head into the end of this year. 75% chance by consensus economists that we'll have a significant slowdown or a shallow recession in late 23 or early 24. This is by design. And the worst part about it, it's self-inflicted. You know, we put ourselves in this position. Now the Fed has to slow things down and cause a recession to slow things down. I mean, as I said to you before, they are the arsonist and the firefighter in this circumstance. So what are we looking at? I mean, you and I have been talking for a while that there's probably going to be at some point to pivot. You might see one more rate hike, and then is that going to be it? I right. mean, we still don't have the recession that was promised. Right. <laughs> the the longest yet. predicted recession possibly in American history right, right yet. What do you see for the next couple of quarters? All right, here? so so the, the Federal Reserve really has just like when you think about a stock there's, you know, do you sell it? To continue to hold it or do you buy something else? The Fed is in this circumstance, is there a hike? Is there a pause or is there a pivot? And the pivot goes from raising to lowering. So those are the three choices that are in front of them right now. There is something like an 80% chance that they are going to hike in the May meeting. The good news, that looks like that could be the end of the rate hiking cycle. So after that, then you go from a hike to a pause. And then the pause is going to see what really happened with all these rate hikes Seven last year, three in 2023. That is significant. If you map that out, the largest increase of federal fund rate that we have seen in history. So it is aggressive. It is for sure went from zero to a 5% rate. That will cause the economy to slow down, and that's by design. So that means there's a lagging effect. As you look three to four quarters out, there will be a trough in economic transactions. But then things turned around. And remember, the stock market reacts two to three quarters in front of that. So if we think we're going to bottom out in late 23 or early 24, that suggests that as we head into the fall of this year, there could be an opportunity. And that's why we always tell you, whether it's opportunity, whether it's something you need to prepare for, a downturn in the market, which can also provide opportunity, we need you to make sure you know what you own, why you own it, and make sure you're working with and for a fee-only fiduciary. And also, just get yourself a checkup, uh, a portfolio review called the Free Wealth Metric. It's available at AnnexWealth.com. Let me just jump in and say, yeah, you know, please. we give you all this information. That doesn't mean that we suggest that uh, the people listening to this podcast should try to time it. We are talking about positioning. There is a significant right, difference right. between timing and positioning. And we think that you can position as for a slowdown so that when you get this trough that you're in a position to take advantage of it. You know, we, we talk about the risks of trying to time the market, but I don't think we often explain why that is sort of a risky proposition. Why is it? Well, there's you really have to be right twice. You have to be right on the yeah. downturn, and you have to be right on the upturn. I can tell you so many times, and we can go back to the last major crisis back in 08 and 09, in March of 09, that was really the trough, and that's when a lot of people had a capitulation, and they threw in the towel and sold in March of 2009. I can tell you people came to us in 2010 and 2011 and said, oh, okay, I think I feel better about it now. Well, 
you know, the train had left the station by that time. So that's the reason why. You, you just you can't do it. Mr. Market's too smart, and that's the reason why positioning is so important. If you can't sleep at night, there's ways to mitigate risk, not have as much in equities, to maybe not have as much in aggressive stocks. That, that's positioning, and that's something that you can do. But saying that it's a binary decision, all in or all out, that's really a fool's game. Well, and, and that is also what people tend to think, that it's like, I've got to put out all of my money. I've got to pull it out right now, and then I've got to go all in. It's, it's sort of like, do you play poker that way? If you were playing No Limit Texas Hold'em, would every move be putting every single chip on the table? But that is sometimes what people, especially younger investors, I think, tend to see investing as a zero-sum game. It's really difficult to time, and that's why we say as if we go into a slowdown, some sectors will do better. You know, Some will be under pressure, for example, real estate, but then some will do better. I mean, people are going hopefully going to continue to use toilet paper and brush their teeth, right? So staples will do very well. The last topic I do want to get to, and we're trying to move through as quickly, is, of course, the debt ceiling yeah. debate is yep. going to pick up quickly. I know that uh, McCarthy has a plan in place. We'll see if he can get it passed this week, but $4 trillion in cuts with a T. That is major and perhaps a raise of the debt cycle. But you'll remember, you know, this happened before, and that's when President Obama and Speaker Boehner finally got in a room together and had a conversation and figured it out. But they waited too long, and the Standard & Poor's downgraded the U.S. debt about 10 or 11 years ago. So let's hopefully we don't get to that point again. Do you think it does? I mean, the Biden administration seems to be holding pretty firm. Yeah, it's, it, there's brinkmanship on both sides. You know, and the fact that the president says he's not going to talk about it, that is different. That is certainly different than when yeah. he was vice president. And he was the guy who brokered the deal, by the way, when Obama said he wouldn't speak to Banner, wouldn't have a cocktail with him, if you remember all of that. They need to have a conversation and figure out how you're going to get some type of austerity to get the debt ceiling raised before the Standard & Poor's comes through and downgrades because the market will probably violently disagree with that action. So let's watch that carefully. You're going to have some volatility as we go through earnings season. Let's watch this conversation. But I do think McCarthy's got a heavy, heavy lift. And even if he can pass it in his own caucus, I don't think the Senate goes along with it. No, I don't think so either. And ultimately, we're probably, if I were to handicap it, we're probably looking at a clean debt limit increase. But we shall see. It's all going to determine on whether Republicans in the Senate do hold together because that is going to be the critical part. Once again, we strongly advise you head to AnnexWealth.com. Get that wealth metric. Make sure you are well positioned no matter what happens, whether the market does dip into a recession, whether or not we actually have a, a, a turnaround following a blip. Annex Wealth and its professionals will be there for you. For Dave Spano, the president and CEO of Annex, I'm Dan O'Donnell saying thanks so much for listening to The Difference. Annex Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. Opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect those of Annex Wealth Management, its producers, hosts, or guests. The host of the podcast is compensated for his endorsement of Annex Wealth Management. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or solicitation 
solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risks. Neither Annex Wealth Management nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast. 